Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. It's time to pick the conversation back up with Cindy Gallup, founder and CEO of Make Love Not Porn, founder and CEO of If We Ran the World. She's a business and marketing icon, and if Make Love Not Porn wasn't ear-catching enough, her slogan, I like to blow shit up, I am the Michael Bay of business, should prepare you for part two of our two-part podcast series. Enjoy. I want to pick up on the issue of hiring disabled people, okay, because for too many companies, and again, um, this is both unconscious but also conscious because we give way too much, cre- much credit to unconscious bias and a ton of bias is conscious. The problem at the moment is that there is this extremely misguided thought that hiring disabled people is fundamentally charitable. You're doing it out of the kindness of your heart. And that's absolute fucking bollocks. Every company should be falling over themselves to hire disabled people because that is how you give yourselves a competitive business advantage. And and the reason for that is um, disabled people are, you know, some of the most creative and ingenious and brilliantly talented people you will ever hire because, um, as my friend Elizabeth Jackson, who's, who's a fantastic disability activist, says, and incidentally, um, you can find her at her personal website, The Girl with the Purple Cane. As Liz Jackson says, disabled people are extraordinarily creative because, as Liz puts it, we have to hack life every single day. Every single day, disabled people are finding creative, ingenious, strategic ways to hack life just to exist, to be taken seriously, and to be enabled to contribute the way they want to. And so, so, so that's point number one, okay? Um, you know, disabled talent is a huge pool of talent um, that companies are failing to tap into and leverage to, um, for better business outcomes. But, that, but then secondly, there's a very key point here, which is uh, when you embrace accessibility as not just a key corporate value, but a fundamental corporate platform for how you operate and how you build and how you grow your business. You make that business better for everybody. When you design accessibility into your company in order to embrace disabled talent, um, you actually enable all your people to work more productively and more happily. And, um, you know, um, a very sort of basic example of that is what we're all experiencing right now, which is the necessity, but therefore the ability to work from home, which, um, and again, you will have absolutely seen the surveys that demonstrate the vast majority of employees do not want to go back into the office. And that's not just because of the COVID risk. It's because you are able to work more effectively 
and create a better work-life balance when you have the flexibility of being able to work from home. Now, now, obviously, um, this is something else, and we can come on to talk about in the corporate world. But you know, not you know, not when uh, that there is an inability to access childcare and you know, elder care support and and, and things like that. But uh, but broadly speaking, when you actively design to welcome in disabled talent into your company, you are you are making your day-to-day working processes more accessible for everybody, and you are creating a happier working environment for your employees as a whole, and therefore a more productive working environment as well. Cindy, we've never had someone on that's, that's so in tune with how media can uh, change opinion. And Chadwick Boseman recently passed away of, of Black Panther fame. And as, as I was seeing sort of the eulogies and recaps of his careers, many of the roles that I saw seemed very stereo- stereotypical to me. Uh, he was a football player. He played a, an inter- entertainer, et cetera. And I'm curious your take on Hollywood's role in this in this fight. Does Hollywood have a role to play with showing people of color and disabled folks in power positions, in positions of starting companies, or are they just in the business to make money and they're not sort of, uh, you know, responsible for anything that happens in this fight? So um, you're making the big mistake everybody does. As usual. Of using the word showing. That's not what this is about. As I say to companies, to every area of popular culture, stop talking diversity. Stop creating inspirational, compelling campaigns and movies and TV series about diversity. Stop doing publicity and promotional stunts about diversity. Just fucking be diverse. So no, it's not about Hollywood showing diverse people. It's about when you have diverse talent writing the scripts, creating the ads, casting the movies, the TV series, the advertising, producing the movies, the series, the advertising, running the series, the films, the ads, whatever it is. And by the way, all of this extends into publishing, books, literature, news, etc. You don't even have to worry about diversity because every single part of your creative output will be diverse. In the same way that I say, if you want to end stereotypes, in every area of popular culture, it's very simple. Just have the people being stereotyped create, approve, direct, produce, run, solves it instantly. And by the way, um, again, I'm being very semantically precise. Note that I say create, prove, because it doesn't matter if you are that brilliant black writer in the writer's room, writing fantastic characters and scenes and exposition and dialogue, if the white male head writer throws it out, goes, no, 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 make all these amendments. In the same way, it doesn't matter if you are that brilliant young black female art director, copywriter team in the advertising agency creative department, if the white male executive creative director says... Yeah, girls, that's pretty good, but I think you should change this, write that in, make this, blah, blah. Only when you have diverse talent, not just creating, but approving, overseeing, funding, backing, and greenlighting all of this, do you then have output where you don't even have to think about what's shown because it just is diverse? Well, Cindy, you, uh, I actually watched uh, the video with you and uh, Brad. 
Grossman on Zeitgeist uh, on on the culture class, and you guys were talking about racism. And before it even started, Piers Fox of PSFK sent Brad and I believe you too an email saying you guys aren't qualified to talk about this subject, and the discussion smacks of white privilege. Your response was amazing, first off, and you can share that with us. But I definitely want to unpack for a couple of white guys and also a bunch of people who want to be allies, but they hear this kind of shit from a white dude and they think, wait a minute, maybe I should back up and not do a fucking thing. Um, well, uh, well, I don't think they'll think that once once they've heard my response. And and for your audience, um, go to YouTube, search Cindy Gallup, Brad Grossman, Zeitguide, and you will find um, my culture class interview with Brad on this. Basically, um, yep, um, you know, uh, um, as you say, Piers said, you know, you are two white people talking about racism. This is appalling. You know, bring in people of color. I think this is disgusting. So I made um, two points in response, and and I did this publicly at the start of my and Brad's conversation because I felt it was very important that the audience hear this. The first thing I said was, there is no other conversation anybody should be having right now, regardless of their race or skin color. Um, incidentally, also just for your audience's um, awareness, I'm not white. My father's English, my mother is Chinese. But basically, you know, whatever discussion anybody is having, ending racism should be the only thing that any of us talk about in any environment right now. Um, and the second point I made was, and it's especially important we all do because black people are fed up to death with having to have this conversation. They're exhausted. They're fed up with having to educate people about racism. They're fed up with having to deal with white guilt. And, you know, the point I also made was, don't you think that brilliant black writers like James Baldwin would, would have so much rather have just directed their creative energies to do whatever they want to do, as opposed to having to take up the issue of social justice, because they were simply completely unable to do anything at all under the yoke of racism. And so that's why every one of us needs to be having this conversation as often as possible. And, you know, I'm going to say the same thing about this with regard to racism as I do all the time to men who say to me, Cindy, um, I really want to be an ally to women. What can I do? And it's very simple. You can do two things. And again, you know, this is what I've been saying with regard to men who want to help women in the face of sexism and sexual harassment. But this also applies to anybody who wants to end racism. Number one, listen to women. Because you don't. Every day we are man-terrupted, mansplained to, talked over, ignored, not listened to, not heard. And, and the same thing applies to black people. Listen to black people. Really listen. And number two, believe women and believe black people. Believe us when we talk about our experience, because our experience is not your experience. And you would not believe the number of white men who explain women's experience back to us, explain black people's experience back to them. Listen to us and believe us. And when you just do those two things, everything you need to do to help us falls out of those two things. Overall, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, white dudes should just shut the fuck up. No, no, um, no, um, no, that is absolutely not what I said at all. The key thing is, as I said, listen, first of all, listen to that black woman. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Really listen, really listen. Secondly, believe that black woman. And when you believe her, you know, ask her, what would you like me to do? And be as frank, as brutally frank as you like. Okay. And 
so when you're listening to her and you're believing her, and when you are, and when she sees that you've listened to her and you've believed her, she can then trust you when you say to her, tell me what to do because I want to do it. And so she will then feel able to say, please go to so-and-so and tell them that I've been waiting for a promotion for three years and I need to be given that promotion as soon as possible and then go and do that. And, and conversely, when that black woman is not in the room and somebody makes a racist joke, you call them out. If you are standing with a group of other white guys and somebody makes a racist joke, you say to them, listen, Bob, that was inappropriate. Um, that was racist. Please don't say that again. What role, if any, does government have um, in this effort, and particularly in the in the K through twelve education realm, where I tend to think a lot of this stuff starts? Well, you've t- you've asked two separate questions there. What does government need to do? Government needs to welcome in as many women and black women and black talent generally as possible. And that's not what this government is doing currently, but but that's what needs to happen everywhere. Because again, you know, once you have fully diverse um, government, the right policies get put in place and the right things happen. It's that simple. And education, any, any opinion on that? So first of all, if we had a female president, we would not have um, the situation we're, we're facing right now with COVID. Um, but again, I go back to my point. Women drive different policies. Black men and women drive different policies. People of color drive different policies. LGBTQ people drive different policies. Disabled people drive different policies. When you have the people who are most on the front line every single day of what white male policy means, whether it's the appalling lack of a universal childcare infrastructure or the appalling scenario that plays out at every level of education, including the funding of college education. When you have the, the, um, the people who are on the sharp end of those policies actually making them, you get a whole different world and one that all of us will be far happier living and working and being educated in. Yeah. One of the things that we talk about on the show is uh, Google has a new effort in terms of certifying uh, folks for education and, and uh, creating a, a system where education is inexpensive and done at sort of a private level. You probably know of sites like Udemy and uh, LinkedIn Learning, where you can have classes and, and uh, continuing education. And from my standpoint, it seems like the university system has become almost like a caste system where we're churning out folks that can afford college, that can get in and sort of feed into this whole system that you're talking about, where white guys are just replaced by new white guys that are churned out of college. Do you feel like the education system as it is, is broken today or how can we fix it? And do you think that uh, capitalism and, and commerce can help level the playing field with, with all, all levels of folks? Yes, of course it's broken. Don't ask the obvious. <laughs> and so um, I... Um, Uh, And I've said this in a number of interviews, but I I wrote a piece about this for Quartz. Um, So the online publication Quartz asked a number of people what we thought the future would be beyond the pandemic. And I'm a great believer in Alan Kay's wonderful saying, in order to predict the future, you have to invent it. And so for me, that question should never be asked in the passive tense. Um, I'm all about inventing the future, as in decide what you want the future to be and then make it happen. So I said that what I believe the future is beyond the pandemic is a complete rebalancing of the value equation. So, you know, in the early, most horrifying stages of this pandemic, here in New York and elsewhere in the country, every night at seven o'clock, 
you know, everybody came out on their terraces, leaned out their windows, stood on their stoops and cheered for essential workers, the people on the front lines, the hospital and the healthcare workers, the elder care workers, the grocery clerks, the first responders. And we all suddenly gained a new appreciation of the value of those people. And so what I see the future being beyond the pandemic is a complete reversal of what has historically been the case, which is the people who have taken those jobs because they care about other people and want to help. Somehow there has been the presumption that they should earn very little, whereas white men who don't give a shit about anybody and are sharks on Wall Street deserve to make appallingly, colossally huge amounts of money. So going forwards, I want to see a reversal of the value equation. I want to see teachers make an absolute goddamn fucking shit ton of money. And I want to see those white men on Wall Street in Silicon Valley who made a shit ton of money not giving a shit about anybody absolutely see a reversal of fortune. And I especially want to see teachers paid a huge amount of money at every level, pre-K, every grade, college. And this is a total truism. Every one of us can identify that one teacher. If we're lucky, more than one. But we can all identify that one teacher who believed in us, who believed in us when we were kids, when we were teenagers, when we had no belief in ourselves. There was that one teacher who saw our potential and inspired us to live up to it. And by the way, that is what online learning does not give you. That's why online courses and online education will never replace IRL teaching, because you need that personal interaction and that personal belief. And so, yes, I absolutely want to see a system where capitalism reinvents itself to reward the people who care about other people and have so much to do with how we all grew up and whether or not we are successful because they believed in us versus rewarding the people who don't give a shit about anybody and only care about making more money for themselves. But Cindy, that is capitalism. Uh, I mean, it, it really is. And that's why you will see so many people, and and, 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 and and they're using different terms of this, but whether it's called conscious capitalism, you know, but it's completely reinventing the concept of capitalism to create a new economy that is powered by very different things. We'll get back to the interview in a minute. Building a cult brand is not easy, which is why you need friends like Rupesh Nair, CEO of Symphony Talent, on your side. Okay, Rupesh, hiring companies can't hire diverse candidates if diverse candidates aren't applying for their jobs. What should hiring companies do differently to attract a more diverse candidate? So for diversity specifically, companies should think about why do they want diversity in their organization and ensure that they are bringing that into the conversations about hiring diverse candidates because that's how they can be genuine about diversity because just checking a box saying, I want to be hiring diverse candidates is not going to help. So the first thing is thinking about why do you want diversity? What are the different groups you are targeting as you think about diversity, and then bringing those messages, which basically is going to resonate to that particular group of diverse candidates into your engagement, whether it is kind of as you reach out in the mass media and target specific diverse groups, as you basically nurture these diverse groups once they have connection with you is very important. 
because to your point, you won't get a diverse candidate till you get in front of a candidate. And the only way you can do that is by figuring out what is the connection point between you and the diverse candidate. And it is very, very easy to kind of cast a net saying, I want diverse candidate. But the truth is there are many, many groups of that diverse candidate and you need to be really clear on who exactly are you targeting. Let Symphony Talent help activate your brand and keep relationships at the heart of your talent strategy. For more information, visit symphonytalent.com. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. James Baldwin called it the value gap, what you're talking about. And I think we're seeing that value gap more than ever just because of COVID and obviously um, with uh, essential workers. But take a look at the value gap between Jeff Bezos and his workers who are on the front line. So that is pure capitalism. That will not fix itself. Capitalism is built to drive markets and make people rich. Socialism we can say as a government guardrail or whatever we want to call it. It doesn't have to be socialism. Do we not have to have a more structured focus on government ensuring that those guardrails are in place so that 12% of our population is not working poor? How do we get there? Um, Absolutely. Um, So if you are asking me to solve government's problems for them, that's what you pay me for. I'm very happy to be hired by the government to solve this problem for them. And to that part of the question, I just want to go back to what I said earlier on in this podcast, which is this is why, again, I've been saying for literally decades to women, black people, people of color, LGBTQ, the disabled, we need to build our own financial ecosystem because the white male one is not working for us. And all around me are you know, a ton of different people coming at this in many, many different ways. I would point you to um, the um, wonderful work that my friends um, Ariane Schutter and Kathleen Utek are doing at their venture fund, which is called Core Capital, because what they are funding are new re-envisionings of companies that operate, for example, payday loans which, um, you know, um, have been looked down upon as the grubby side of the credit industry are nevertheless extremely necessary for so many people in extraordinarily challenging financial circumstances. And so, you know, Kathleen and Ariane are are funding the people reinventing um, that area. They are funding solutions for the unbanked, 
you know, there are many, many people rethinking every single aspect of all of this to create um, and build that new financial ecosystem that works for all of us. Cindy, last one from me. I'm, I'm the father of a young daughter. I have a 10-year-old uh, and I want her to be an absolute badass like you. What advice would you give fathers like me and others who have young daughters uh, to raise someone as, as strong and independent as you? I would say two things. Um, the first is absolutely bring them up to not give a damn what anybody else thinks. Bring them up to to really focus on knowing who they are, knowing their values, and and living and working those values, and knowing that as long as they are being true to themselves, that's all that matters, and not what anybody else, anybody else thinks. And then um, the second thing I, I would say: this is so crucially important important to how you want your daughter to grow up that you need to do this every day around you. Do everything you can to end sexual harassment. Stop other men sexually harassing. Stop other men being inappropriate. Step in as a bystander. Every time you see anything like that happening, actively speak out and end sexual harassment every way you can. And the reason I'm telling you that is because, you know, I'm sorry to, to have to bring, um, bring this in, but, you know, that is the one thing that can make your daughter's life go completely off the rails. Okay. I did a call out to the advertising industry three years ago um, when the Harvey Weinstein saga broke in the New York Times. You know, I had been speaking out about sexual harassment for years, um, way before Me Too. And I spoke out about it publicly because nobody else would. And so I've been hearing from, you know, many women in my industry advertising who've been sexually harassed. I'd always encourage them to report it, to, to speak out to the media, and they were always too terrified to, completely understandably. And so in October 2017, when the Harvey Weinstein saga broke, I posted on Facebook and I said, women of the advertising industry, the time has finally come to name names. You know, if these brave women could with Harvey Weinstein, you know, um, the walls are breaking down. Um, I will help you get those stories told. Email me and I will put you in touch with trusted journalists to break those stories. And an absolute avalanche hit my inbox. I have to say, the next few months as this avalanche continued were very, very depressing. But because I'd always known it was bad, I'd never known how bad it really was. And if your audience would like to get a sense of what I uncovered on YouTube, search 3% Conference, search Cindy Gallup um, 2017. Um, the talk is called Where the Money Is. And it's it's a bit of a misnomer because what I did was I was scheduled to give the keynote at 3% Conference a few weeks later. And I was so horrified by my inbox that at the last minute, I rewrote my talk. And the first half of it is all about what I discovered. And that experience, as I say in the talk, caused me to change my own thinking. Because for years, I'd been saying that the single biggest business issue facing the advertising industry was diversity. And I stood on the stage um, at the 3% conference in November 2017, and I said, it's not. The single biggest business issue facing our industry and every other industry is sexual harassment. And that's because sexual harassment manages women out of every industry. Sexual harassment derails women's careers destroys women's ambitions, crushes women's dreams. Every industry has hemorrhaged vast amounts of female talent and creativity and leadership because of sexual harassment. And sexual harassment has therefore kept out of leadership, out of power and influence, the female leaders who would make gender equality, diversity, inclusion happen. We don't solve anything until we solve sexual harassment. And 
sexual harassment will derail your daughter's life if you don't do everything you can to end it now so it never, ever has to. Thank you. Thanks, Cindy. Hey, Cindy, we appreciate you taking the time and having these hard discussions because, again, if we're not having them, it seems like nobody's having them. So thank you so much for having them. And we appreciate you blowing shit up. If our listeners want to find out more about you, where should they go? Sure. So, um, and, and by the way, I would like to highlight to your listeners that um, my services are available as a consultant and as a speaker to do everything that we've talked about um, in this episode. You can find me. You can find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. You can email me directly, Cindy at ifwerantheworld.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Cindy Gallup, on Instagram at Cindy Gallup. And on Facebook, where I'm um, facebook.com slash cindy.gallop. Thanks again for joining us. Awesome. It was an absolute pleasure. We out. We out. This has been the Chat and Cheese Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single show. And be sure to check out our sponsors because they make it all possible. For more, visit chadcheese.com. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.